We're going to look at something else this morning, but let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Might as well stay with the what we've been doing through Sunday school and uh, through our songs. The Lord's moving us a direction. Let's go. It. Amen. We'll we'll do. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, getting back into Matthew chapter six next week. But brethren, the reality of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is crucial. You know, God didn't have to tell us anything that's going to happen. The prophecies of old, which have already come to pass, God has given us as incredible evidence that He is the true God. All the other gods that have been made up by the imagination of man, they don't exist. But God has given prophecy in the Scripture to tell of Jesus' first coming. Over and over again, there's over a hundred in the Old Testament. And then here you go, Jesus is born, the Messiah, the King of Kings. But the prophecies of those things coming to pass in the future from us. Now, for God, it's not future. God doesn't live in the past. He doesn't live in the present, nor does He live in the future. God is outside of time. And everything that is going to happen for Him has already happened. Now, What does that mean and how does that work itself out? My brain doesn't know. But God is far greater than I am. And all these things are true with Him. But why does God give us the reality of those things that are going to come? There's many reasons. But primarily, they are for us who are His. Now, there, there are many things that are going to happen that, that could have some effect on the unsaved. And you may speak about those things that are going to come because it's appropriate. I think it's appropriate for people to know what's going to happen to them if they don't trust Christ as their Savior. They're going to be separated from God forever. First in a kind of a holding tank, but ultimately in the lake of fire. But so much of what God speaks about what is going to happen um, is so often uh, more pearls that if we give it to the unsaved, it is going to be pearls given to swine. And they'll take these things and rend you with them, even though they're true. They'll mock you. They'll talk about how uh, religions from all times have come up with fantastical things. But we're not coming up with things. These are things that are written for us in the Scripture. And God Himself has brought many things to pass. And you can be sure that these things are going to happen as well. And one of those things that is imminent is what we call the rapture of the church. For those of you that weren't in Sunday school... The word rapture is not found in the Scripture, but the word caught up is. And there is going to come a day where the God of all creation who made all things is going to leave His heavenly home, come down and receive us unto Himself. He's going to come 
He's not going to come all the way to the earth. He's going to come down, though, and then he's going to take us who are his, both the dead in Christ. Now, the dead in Christ are those who are saved, but dead and buried. The dead in Christ, whose bodies have been separated from their soul and spirit. He's going to take them and he's going to give them a new body. And then he's going to take us and he's going to give us a new body. These bodies that we have now, these bodies that that robe us is one way the scripture puts it. Uh, we are going to shed these robes and we're going to put on a new robe. <laughs> we're going to have a new body. A body that is an eternal body that will never, ever, ever die. And 1 Corinthians is the place in which these things are laid out to us. This is a mystery, but it's laid out to us. So many of the things that Paul says are a mystery, he then goes on and lays it right out and says, now you know. Well, may God help us to know and trust and know that these things are going to come to pass. Amen? Amen. These things are going to come to pass. Now, keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to come back to this, but let's establish some things, starting there in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, in verse 1, um, the disciples had been told for the final time um, that Jesus was going to die and He was going to leave them. Paul, Peter said, no way. Jesus said, way. <laughs> and then in, in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Now the disciples knew what Jesus was speaking about. This is Jewish wedding language. The bride, the bridegroom would, would make proposal, a proposition of marriage, and then say, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for our family, and then I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you unto myself. In another place, Jesus gives a parable of the ten virgins. This is speaking about the bridegroom coming to receive the bride and then being prepared for that time at any time he could come. Jesus is the, the bridegroom, the groom. We are the bride, the bride of Christ, and he could come to take us to himself at any time. There's no letter that the Jewish man would write saying, hey, I'm coming on Tuesday. Be ready. That wasn't the way they did it. And still some places in Judaism, they do this. They would come at any point. It's done. I'm ready to go. Let's go get our bride. And he would come. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. And he's telling us there's going to come a time that I'm going to come. I'm not going to stay in your town. I'm going to bring you to my town. Right? I'm not going to stay at your home. I'm going to go to your, I'm, your, I'm going to take you to my home. Right? You see that? What do I mean? I mean, when Jesus comes, he's not going to come to stay here on earth. With us, he's going to come and take us to his home. And where's his home? Well, this place where there are all these, uh, the scripture speaks of mansions. 
Ultimately, it is the place in which God lives. We're going to live in the same home with God. Amen. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be an outstanding city. Bigger than anything there ever was. But those who are saved, they're all going to live there with Him. This eternal home. I look forward to that, don't you? He's going to come and receive us unto Himself. You see that? He's going to receive us unto Himself. And and by the way, the application of this, verse 1, don't let your heart be troubled by anything. Anything that can happen in this world, if you're saved... Don't be so troubled by it because guess what? Jesus is coming and we're going to heaven. Amen? And there's nothing that can take that away. By the way, if salvation could be removed or if we could give it back, we ought to be troubled with every instant of our life. We ought to be filled with trouble. We don't have to be troubled. Amen? We don't have to be troubled for a moment. Not a moment. And turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We're looking at this previous today. But the Lord gives us this in verse 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And again, Christians who die, the Bible in the New Testament speaks of us, of us as going to sleep. Now, what does He mean by that? This is what He does not mean. He does not mean that we enter soul sleep, where our soul becomes Without cognizance, without, without an understanding of what's going on. It's, when you go to sleep, do you know what's going on around you? I don't. Um, but there is this doctrine of soul sleep, which is a, a heretical doctrine. It's a very bad doctrine. that says when you die, you lose all consciousness until some future time. But the Bible teaches us that when we die, our soul and spirit go to heaven to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But those who are asleep, which is basically a nicer way of saying dead, those who are asleep, listen to what it says. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. When our family members die, our friends, our church family passes away. We miss something, don't we? Many of you have people that have passed away. Just I've been here for almost nine years. A short time in some ways. But there are folks who aren't here that have left us over these past nine years. And we miss them. they are things that should be here. By the way, they should be here. <laughs> because of age and infirmity and disease. They've died. They're not here. And we miss those things. By the way, some people, when, when we lose people, others need to take up the mantle. The things that were an addition to the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God here in our church, others need to take that up. It needs to not disappear, right? But we miss something. We, we miss their presence, and we do. We do. And notice what it says. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Now notice he says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Now where is Jesus? Who is He going to bring? Those that are asleep. Where are those that are asleep? 
with him, right? Again, soul sleep doesn't make any sense, but they're with him. He's going to bring them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. We're not going to enter into the presence of Jesus before those that are asleep. Number one, they're already there. But notice what's going to happen. Verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now this may be confusing, because what do we see first? First we see those that are dead coming with Him. But then we see that they're going to come up out of the ground. They're going to rise first. Well, how does that jive? With jives because... When we die, the real death for the Christian is not separation from God, but our soul and spirit are separated from our body. Where's our body go? In the ground. Where's our soul and spirit go? To be with Jesus. But when He comes, He's going to bring them with them, with Him, and our bodies, which are in the, in the ground, are going to rise up to be reunited with their soul and spirit. In other words, those who die, they have a soul and spirit. And by the way, can you see a soul or a spirit? You can't. But when they come, what are they going? What's going to happen? Their bodies are going to be brought up from the ground, not mangled and dusty, but a brand new body that God makes to live forever. And we'll see that when we get to First Corinthians. We'll go there next. But notice, those bodies are going to be. There with Jesus, with their soul and spirit, where? Notice what it says. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so we're going to be caught up together in the air. Right? To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these things. When this happens, and it hasn't happened yet... The dead in Christ are going to rise. Their bodies are going to come up out of the ground. I don't know how that's all going to work. Who's going to see it or any of that. But they're going to be reunited with those, those soul and spirit in heaven. Then we which are alive. Now we're alive here today, right? If Jesus came back, He's not going to have to go searching for our body in the ground. But we're going to rise up together with the Lord. And we'll ever be with the Lord with them in the air. By the way, we will see our loved ones again. Not a soul and spirit, but soul, spirit, and body. And they're going to see us, soul, spirit, and body. First John, chapter 3, we're going to move quick. In fact, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to just read it to you. What kind of soul, spirit, and body? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Now listen... Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What kind of spirit are we going to have when we see Christ? It's going to be a spirit that's just like His spirit. Right? You know what that means? It's going to be pure and holy without sin. When, when we... See Christ, we're going to have a new spirit, a, a spirit that's not like the spirit we have now. Now, Jesus has filled us. He's placed the Holy Spirit in us, right? But what does He do? He convicts us that we're still sinners. 
He still is telling me, John, that's a sin. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't say those kind of things. Don't look at those kind of things. Don't treat your family that way. Don't treat your friends that way. You're a new creature. He's saying those things to me. He said those things to me many times this week. And if the Holy Spirit lives in you, He's doing those same things in you, isn't He? I'm glad that He does that. It's evidence that He lives in me. But one day, I'm going to see Him and I'll become just like Him. And I'm never going to treat my wife wrong again. (laughs) Never going to treat my kids wrong again. Never going to see anything impure. Never going to want to see anything impure. Never going to desire anything that is a sin. Not one thing. That's the kind of spirit we're going to have. Now, what kind of body are we going to have? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have to have that spirit in order to have this body. We have to have the the holiness of God in order to have this type of body. Because without the holiness of God, this type of body wouldn't last. But notice what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll move quickly through this, but this is so important. Um, by the way, the application for First Thessalonians, comfort one another, right? Why can we comfort one another when somebody's died that we love in Christ? How can we comfort them? You're going to see them again, right? You'll see them again. Now, if they're not saved, we can't promise that. That would be a lie. But if they are saved, we can promise it to the degree of surety, 100%. The application of First John... In 1 John 1, three, it says, purify yourself even as he's pure. We purify ourselves because we're going to get a new spirit that's pure. Let's not wait. Amen. Let's purify ourselves now. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit now. Let's not be the same today as we're going to be a week from now. Let's let the Holy Spirit change us. What kind of body are we going to get? Oh, it's going to be a wonderful body. I'm glad this is the kind of body we're going to get. I don't think I cared as much when I was 20, but I'm 40 now. I care more. I do. Verse 35. But some men will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? How does this work? What kind of, what kind of malarkey are you talking about? What kind of fantastical, foolish kind of stuff are you talking about? A new, a raised up body, a resurrection. Paul says, by the inspiration of God, Thou fool! By the way, it is foolish to say that God can't do something, isn't it? Because that's basically what a person says when they say there's no resurrection. What they're saying is there's no resurrection because God can't do it. And that is foolish. Because God can do it. Right? The folks that have been taken... And brought into their church buildings. Now the building's not the church, but there have been times where people have been brought into the church building and they lit the church on fire until they were consumed. You know what God can do? Take all the dust and ash of those people and make a new body right out of it. <laughs> right? Can God do that? Sure. You know why? Because He's God. He can do anything. Right? The people who died a thousand years ago, whose whose dust is on the other side of the world from where they died, 
God can take that and make a new body out of it. Why? Because he's God. And so to say, how can this happen, is foolishness. Because God can do anything. Now, can I scientifically figure out how it all happens? No. But God can do anything. And he's done it many times. Verse 37. And thou which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as he hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. A couple of things here. What God is saying here is you take a seed, you put it in the ground, and up comes a new body, right? The seed has to die first. By the way, you know what this is also saying? It's a little science. Seeds don't grow without God. <laughs> right? I was, I appreciate the bumper stickers that say, thank a farmer. I was reading another one the other day, though, and they, they're literally tar- starting to say things where the farmer is actually God. You know, the farmer is God. Because the farmer is the one who gives you your food. Here's the thing. Farmer, without God, those seeds wouldn't grow. It's just true. It is by the grace of God and by the mercy of God that He lets seeds grow. And if He wants to not let seeds grow, He will stop them. And the Scripture speaks about that kind of thing happening in the book of Revelation. There will not be enough food at one point. But it's not going to be because of overpopulation. It's going to be because God stops the seeds. And He can do that. And he can cause them to grow. But this is, that's what it says. Look what it says. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. Right? By the way, God does differentiate us from animals. We are not animals. We are different than animals. And we are above animals, right? There's no doubt about that. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. Celestial in the sky, terrestrial on the earth. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is other. And there is a difference between the glory of the stars and the glory of the flowers. God's made them different. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory, in brightness. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. How is it sown? It's sown with a dead body, but it's raised with a what? A body without corruption. Incorruptible. Notice that word, incorruption. When we die, we go into the ground. Now, before we were ever in the ground, these bodies already started to corrupt, didn't they? Before you breathe your last breath, you know it, I know it, our bodies are corrupting. There's just no doubt about it. I was talking to a man the other day. He's, he's in his mid-30s uh, yesterday at the, at the men's prayer meeting. And uh, he said, yeah, I, I flew out my shoulder, had surgery, and, and it was two years ago. And he said, there's still, there's still some things going on. I said, listen, there's going to be pains that you have for the rest of your life. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? That's true. Some of you have, have had pains that you live with for the rest of your life. You know why? Because these bodies are corruptible. Right? This on the back of my head, my kids like to come put their hand on it. 
is proof of some corruption. Yeah, this is a bald spot on the back of my head. Right? My daughter came up to me the other day, and she started doing this to the front of my hair. And she said, Dad, I haven't noticed that, but you're losing your hair there too. Corruptible bodies. Mm. It's true. It's true. But when we get these new bodies, they're going to be incorruptible. There's not going to be a hair that falls out of those heads that at least doesn't grow back. (laughs) Praise God. Incorruptible bodies. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. When these bodies die, it is a dishonor, right? We have a funeral and we honor the person, but it is a dishonorable thing. It is a bad thing for a person to die. By the way, that is true. God never intended for us to die. He did not make humans to die, did He? In the garden, were Adam and Eve going to die until sin came? They were dishonored in their death. And we are dishonored in our death because it just proves we're a sinner. But the wonderful thing is, is that those bodies go into the ground, but are raised up a new body with glory rather than dishonor. With glory instead of dishonor. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. Now, don't be confused. The body that's raised is physical, meaning that it can be touched, it can be seen, it can be smelled, just like these bodies, but different. No bad smells, no bad things going on, no cancers, no boils, none of these things. But it's spiritual in the sense that when we, when we see Christ, what does He do with our spirit? We are made just like Him, right? In our spirit. We are perfect. You see, these bodies that He wants to give us and will give us, we could not have if we were just going to send those bodies away. But aren't you glad when this day comes, we will never sin again and those bodies are going to last forever? Verse 45, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, which is Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. The word quickening means to bring alive, to breathe life into. When Adam was first made, how did he become life? God breathed life into him, right? By the way, that whatever it was might have been breathing already, the heart might have been beating already. But he did not become a living soul until God breathed into him. And that same breath of life, he has breathed into every human being since that time. We're all made in the image of God. But we all die. We take our last breath. Our heart stops beating. All the brain waves stop. We are like a lump in some ways. Dead. Our soul and spirit are separated from our body. Right? You know what Jesus does? He gives us a new body and breathes life right back into that body with a new spirit. Verse 46, Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. So which comes first? 
The natural comes first. That's what we have now. The spiritual comes later. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the second man is the Lord from heaven. That's an amazing thing. And by the way, if you're saved, you become part of the body of Christ. And that will be a permanent and real thing in heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. We know what it is to be earthy. We don't know what it is to be heavenly. And as if we have borne the image of the earthy, that's what we have now, we also shall bear, we shall also bear the image of the earthy, uh, of the heavenly. So we know what it means to be earthy because that's what we are now. But we shall, and by the way, what does that word shall mean? It doesn't mean maybe, it doesn't mean might, it means for sure, definitely going to happen. We shall take on the image of the heavenly. Verse 50, and here we go, this is good. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And those two things are, are linked forever. Flesh and blood with corruption. It's been asked, we have blood in heaven, and, and I believe we will have life blood. Life is in the blood. Um, but the blood, the corruptible blood that we have now, the, the amazing thing about blood is you can know all the, all, so many things that are wrong in you from your blood. Did you know that? Right? The doctors don't give extensive physicals like they once did. They say, I want you to go next door and I want you to give vials and vials of blood. But they do these tests and then they come back and say, All right, there, there's this wrong, there's this wrong, there's this wrong. Right? There's so many things that can be found in the blood. When... If and, and if we do have blood in heaven, what are you going to find wrong in heaven? Nothing. Nothing, right? All the wrong things in our DNA, all the mutations that have caused bad things to happen in our DNA, gone. Perfect, right? Yeah. Made perfect. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Only God can do that, but He will do it. Behold, I show you a mystery, verse 51. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now you notice the same phraseology as in 1 Thessalonians. That last trump, that, that voice of the archangel, the, the trump of God. Um, and it'll happen in a twinkling of an eye. And what's going to happen? The dead shall be raised incorruptible. Those, those dead are filled with corruption. But on that day, they're going to be raised without any corruption at all. Not one thing wrong with their body, nor one thing wrong in their spirit. Perfect in every conceivable way. Perfect in every conceivable way. Verse 53, for this corruptible, point to yourself, this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal, that's us, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. What does that mean? Death. For the Christian 
is not permanent. It is not the enemy that it would be if these things were not going to actually happen. Death is a terrible enemy. A wicked enemy. A, a, a enemy that we ought to fear and do everything we can do to keep from ever happening if what God is saying here is untrue or isn't going to happen. But if it is going to happen, death isn't much of an enemy at all. Because on the other side of death is life eternal. We are going to live forever with a new body and a new spirit forever. Amen. Right? Death is swallowed up in victory. And who won that victory? Jesus. Christ. Jesus. That's right. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You know, everybody who today is, is working to do whatever they can to live as long as they can, they're going to lose, aren't they? They are going to lose. Larry Page, the owner of Google, or used to be, spending millions and millions of dollars to try to figure out how to live longer. I was reading an article the other day. They say they're on the verge of getting people's lifespans to be five times longer. Let's say that's true. I don't believe it, but let's say it's true. What's still going to happen 400 years from now? You're still going to die. You are going to lose, right? Unless you know Christ. Because He's won the victory. Amen? The sting of death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is law. And the truth is, is, there's one reason why we all die, because we all sin. I don't mean to be shocking here, but there really is two ways to live forever. Trust Christ as your Savior, or never sin once. And if you're in this room, you've only got one hope, because you've all sinned. All of you. You're dirty, rotten sinners, and you're going to die. Just like me. Right? Just like me. But we have hope in Christ. Who died for our sin. And won the victory over death. If we refuse Christ. If there is a person and there are many that refuse Christ. They will die. And they will die forever. Eternally separated from God. And having no hope in the world. And they will lose. But we have won through Christ. Amen? Verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, what do we do to win the victory? We do nothing, right? He does everything. What does it mean for us to be able to do nothing? It means that we can do nothing to save ourselves. Jesus has done it all. All we have to do is believe what He did. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. He is God who did it all. Right? We can do nothing. We, we can't give anything to add to what Jesus has done. And if we tried, it would take away from what Jesus did. We do nothing. He did it all. He won the victory. And by the way, all victories are won by Christ. 
don't mean to nitpick you on this morning, brother, but you prayed and said that all our good works are filthy rags. I don't know if you, I don't know if you meant that, but for the unsaved, that's true. For we are saved. All our good works are Christ. <laughs> Everything we've done good, any good thing we've done, they're not filthy because Christ has saved us. He's the one that did it, right? And every victory that's won for the Christian is won through Christ. And in the end, when the last battle comes, who wins the victory? How many, how many slashes of the sword are we going to have to give? <laughs> we give none. He wins the victory. He does not need us to win any victories. He wins them all. Amen? He wins them all. He does it all. But thanks be to God which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren. Now he's bringing it back to the present. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Two words. Steadfast. Steadfast means to continue without being stopped. (laughs) If you're going to get a new body, don't let anything stop you from following after the Lord. For living your life for the Lord. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let the weights of your besetting sin stop you. Don't let the allurement of worldly things stop you. Don't let the tendency for laziness stop you. Go after with steadfastness what God has for you in this life. Do it without being stopped. Unmovable. Don't be moved from the truth. Don't be moved from the truth. Be like an ox. In unmovableness. You know, if an ox didn't want to go somewhere, what am I going to do about it? (laughs) Nothing. Let's be like the ox. Being unmovable by false doctrine. Unmovable by the allurements of fake Christianity. Unmoved to say, you know what? I can live my best life now rather than living for Christ, which may be hard. Be unmovable. Say, you know what? I don't care what people say. Or what the people who even say they're speaking for God says. I am not going to be moved from the truth of the Bible. I'm going to live according to what God says. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I know I'm going to get to heaven one day and be sad for the times that I wasn't abounding. But I want those days to be less and less. As I grow older. Amen. Amen. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're going to get a new body. A real. Honest to goodness. New body. That will never die. Never corrupt. Never break. Never have any sores or pains. And I look forward to that. All of that. And I look forward to being able to have a body. That will never sin. I'll never use my body to do any sinful thing again. That's coming. And by the way, that could be today. 
Because the scripture says in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. May God help us. Amen. Amen.